0: Being black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast.
1: Yo, yo, Daph, what's up, what's up?
0: Nothing much, just I'm um, actually really excited uh, because just before I signed on to record, I finished uh, writing up a publication that has been in the works for literally like six or seven
1: years. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> That's good though. At least it's finished.
0: Yo, like I've been pulling like all nighters, like all week to get this done uh, mm. because my co-author and I, again, we have been working on this years uh, prior. There was like a almost a year and a half break. And when he reached out to me to be like, hey, yo, what's up with this paper? I was like, zero excuses. I'm gonna have the paper done by Friday. Um, although I am a couple days late, but still it's done now.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good. No, that's what's up. Yeah, sometimes that's sometimes those papers be like that. You just got them on a the shelf. For a little bit too long.
0: <laughs> too long. So, you know, I was like, I can't, no more excuses. I need this paper for the job market anyway. So let me, you know, get on mm-hmm. the ball. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what about you?
1: Nothing. Actually, literally just getting back in from St. Louis. It was St. Louis What? yeah, it was like a wedding renewal, a vow renewal. Oh, uh, which was cool. You know, it's my first time in St. Louis, um, which yeah, is interesting. right down
0: the street from me.
1: <clears throat> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it's interesting, man. It's a nice little city. But I'm not, I'm not used to, I guess, because I'm always in this, you know, Jersey, New York area where everything's so dense and overpopulated. So the streets are always packed and, the you know, every all the stores and businesses are always packed. And so I'm thinking like, you know, every time I go to a city, I'm expecting the same thing but like the streets was clear, you know, on a for a Saturday night, Saturday evening and, and the places wasn't packed, you can easily get food, you know, at restaurants and it wasn't like <laughs> so I wasn't used to that for it being a downtown area.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, that's the good thing about so the Midwest does have like quite a few like larger cities and you kind of get the the benefits of like a larger city. You know, the restaurants, the entertainment that you would have in like a, a northeast city, but you don't necessarily have as much of the traffic and like you said, overpopulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the good thing about like big cities in the Midwest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the cool thing at the at the little event, um, we had a few conversations about the podcast and related topics. Oh. Um, <laughs> people were bringing it up, you know, definitely talking about the, bi- the latest one with the biracial episode.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Mm, I can see how that would be relevant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then and then now, you know, there was a push for people wanting us to do an episode on also, because you know, we touched on colorism. Now we touched on biracial identity. And another one is about like, uh, like bicultural, multicultural. And it's something we talked about before, right? Like between Africans and, and African Americans kind of thing and, and that relationship as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So said, we got yeah. to a debate about that. Mm hmm.
0: I I actually, I've been seeing a lot of those debates online recently because there was um, some podcast host or like social media influencer. She's African. I think her name is like Lovey or something like that. And she recently got dragged um, because of some like maybe six or seven year old tweets where she talked about being an African elitist and, you know, like throwing like major shade at African-Americans. So, (laughs) you know, and also the uh, uh, Yvonne orgy. I'm not sure. How uh-huh. her last Yvonne name. orgy. Yeah, yeah. She actually was recently on The Breakfast Club, and Charlamagne asked her, like, "Oh, so do you think you're better than like African Americans because you're African?" And she kind of swerved the question. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, my. My Nigerian parents taught me to like, you know, just keep my head up like nobody's like on my level. And so yeah. it would be really interesting to kind of have that conversation, but in a productive way, not in a yeah. way that is like further dividing people. But yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. be interested because, you know, yeah. my my in-laws, you know, there's this like cultural difference because my husband is from Cameroon or his family is from Cameroon and mm-hmm. I'm African-American. So, you know, I live these cultural differences.
1: Yeah. So we got to make it happen. We got to, if any of our listeners know, if anybody that is just well versed in this potentially, you know, doesn't even have to be an academic, could be, you know, somebody, but whatever, it would be good, nice to have a conversation on this, on this topic. So keep us informed and we'll be looking out because yeah, we, that's the next phase. I think that'd be cool to have.
0: Yes, BHD having the real conversation. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's cool when I'm now going to events and now our topics are being brought up and we're having debates at events that I'm not expecting to have events. So.
0: I love it, I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to our listeners. Keep engaging with us 100%. We appreciate it. Um, yes. Also, don't forget, this is the last week to get your tees or BHD tees and hoodies for Tees for Degrees campaign. Join B.H.D. as we get ready to give back with our first ever donated campaign called Tees for Degrees, where 100 percent, yes, 100 percent of the proceeds will be donated to the United Negro College Fund. All you have to do is go to our website at www.blackandhighlydangerous.com. Click the link that says Tees for Degrees and purchase a Black and Holly Dangerous T-shirt or hoodie. Hurry now, because this is only a 20 day campaign. So get your orders in now. When you get your T-shirt, use the hashtag tease 4 degrees and tag us on social media and you can get featured on our website. Remember, your purchase goes towards helping students of color get scholarships for college. So help BHD spread the word with hashtag 4 degrees So make sure you jump on that ASAP. You only got one week left.
0: Mm-hmm. And that could be a conversation starter for you. You have on a BHD t-shirt, somebody be like, oh, what does that stand for? And you can just be like black and highly dangerous because I, I'm the oppressor's <laughs> the Let that be, worst be. fear. Let that be a topic of conversation at the dinner table.
1: Oh yeah, I'm sure these shirts will spark some conversation for sure. I can see y'all wearing it in class. I can see y'all wearing it in protest. I can just see y'all, you know, working out with it, going to the grocery store, making that statement.
0: I can also see you getting like major side eyes at airports <laughs> and, and other venues where you know somebody might not be black and highly dangerous because yes. of their demographic.
1: <laughs> yeah, be bold when you wear this, <laughs> you wear this. <laughs> but get those tees and make sure you you uh, tag us on the social media accounts at BSA Podcast, but also use the hashtag Tees for Degrees so we can capture those those photos and also put them up on our websites and our social media because we want to show and you know. To, uh, what, what do you want to do? We want to make sure everybody sees the work that you're doing and engaging with us. Yay. Show the world our listeners, you know, and the support you're giving us. So make sure you tag us in that so we can definitely put you up.
0: Yes, I agree. You know, speaking of engaging with us, it, it makes me think about today's topic. You yes. know, we want you to reach out to us because maybe not only can you wear a BHD shirt, but maybe you can be on BHD like our guest for today's show.
1: Yes, yes. Today is a very special episode because it is our first episode where we have our first, I guess we can call them listener guest <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> coming on. Um and Shamara Arkey, she's a avid listener to the podcast, like we've been telling you for the past few weeks there's something we wanted to start doing is bringing our listeners on once a month to come talk to us about current events for that month at the last episode of the month. So Shamara reached out We said, of course, this is what we wanted. And we had excellent, excellent conversations uh, for a wide range of topics from popular culture, TV shows, black feminism, education, all the above that we talked about. So, you know, hopefully you guys enjoy the episode. We're very serious about this. We also have more people reaching out. We want you all to continue to reach out because we do want you to be on the episodes with us and engage with us in those ways, right? Again, we're not lying when we say these. I don't know how many times we keep telling y'all that that we are all about the community and we practice what we preach. So (laughs) continue to reach out. Um, But other than that, let's get into our first ever listener guest episode, sipping Tea with BHD. And then uh, we'll catch up with y'all later.
0: Everyone, and welcome to another episode of the HD Podcast. Today, we have a very special episode and a very special guest. For the very first time, we will have a special guest for our current events episode where we will talk about topics from, you know, popular culture to politics to wacky news stories. And for our current events episode, we want to welcome Shamara Arkey. Welcome. Hey, everyone.
2: Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yes, this is exciting. You know, first, first listener guests on with us to come chat. I'm excited and excited to talk about some of the things that we have lined up. Uh, But before we even get to that, you know, the same way we generally start our interviews and start these conversations, Shamara, tell tell the listeners who you are, a little bit about yourself, what you do, and then we'll take it from there.
2: All right. So uh, again, I am Shamara. My pronouns are she and her. I identify as an educator, an activist, and an organizer. Um, So my work is really centered in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, where I do a few different things. So I am an instructor in the Department of Pan-African Studies at Kent State University. Uh, That's something that I really enjoy doing this semester. I have the privilege of teaching two courses, uh, the black experience one and the black experience two. So we're talking mm. about all things black from the beginning of time till now. <laughs> so I that's love am so excited about it.
1: And that's a lot to cover too. <laughs>
2: tell me about it, tell me about it when it comes to writing the syllabus. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So I also do work that surrounds uh, women of color. So I get to be the founder and the director of the Ellipsis Institute for Women of Color in the Academy. That is a program that focuses on the development, both personal and professional, of women of color in the Academy. So students, undergraduate and graduate and professional students, and also faculty and staff at Case Western Reserve University. Hmm. Hmm. Nice.
0: So your Twitter handle is Black Comma Feminist. Uh, What does that
2: mean? I'm so glad you asked, Daphne. (laughs) So I actually got an opportunity to really do some identity development and identity construction work at the beginning of uh, my doctoral program. And part of the research that I was doing was I was just checking in with uh, women of color and specifically Black women and their engagement with feminism. And uh, some of the findings that came out were that some folks identify as black feminists, so without the comma, but there was a large percentage of women who thought it was important to separate their blackness from their feminist identity um, mm-hmm. and to promote their blackness first because uh, that is who we are. Uh, that's, what, that's how the world sees us before we can even talk about identifying as a feminist. Uh, we've got to engage with folks around what it means to be black. Uh, so that comma is there as a placeholder Uh, to include all of the other identities that stand between identifying as Black or feminist. And then also just um, to bring together two identities that might be socially incongruent. Uh, mm-hmm. Folks who do identify as black feminists without the comma, they are um, you know, uh, interrogated almost around why they identify in such a way and why um, as a black person would they identify as a feminist. But I feel like by putting the comma between the two, we can control the narrative around that conversation and enter it from a place of assets as opposed to a place of deficits.
0: Mm, yeah that that really resonates with me um because i I hold um I don't know, I feel like I have pushed back against like using the word feminist sometimes just because I don't necessarily always feel like I fit into you know American standards of like Feminist identity. Um, so I completely get that. And sometimes I might use womanist, um, but yeah, I've seen pushback against like, you know, black woman, you know, how are you a feminist? You know, mm-hmm. oh,
2: yeah. One thing mm-hmm. that I do like to share about the, the identity of black comma feminists is that uh, black women were doing the feminist labor, quote unquote, long mm-hmm. before the word feminist was added to the canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we think about Sojourner Truth in 1851, when she gave her speech that included the famous phrase "Ain't I a Woman," uh, she also gave that in Akron, Ohio. Shout out to Ohio, we in here. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the things that she recants in that speech, those are feminist happenings. That's mm-hmm. a feminist perspective. When we look at the the role of the Black woman in the slave community, we can read that work by Angela Davis, like. That's a feminist engagement. So just because the the word that we're using now to describe the labor came after the action and was not introduced by the originator, uh, but we have an opportunity to reclaim that. And in my work, my work is really about reclaiming and taking up space. And so I feel like by identifying as a feminist, uh, but placing that comma between black and feminist, it's a reclamation and it pays homage to those women who were doing the work long before the term was ever uh, introduced to any of us.
1: Mm, Better preach, that's what's up, that's what's up. I I like that and I think, you know, we can, begin to actually, you know, for our listeners and ourselves, right, look at some of the things that's been currently going on in the media that we've seen that may have sparked conversation within this realm. Uh, and just talking about Black women in particular, and a lot of the challenges or just the way they have to navigate the society, right? One that we already know of, and we briefly discussed before on the earlier podcast this month, had to do with the Serena Williams in the U.S. Open situation. So what are your thoughts on that, you know, as far as the situation, Serena, what has been portrayed, especially when we see like the comics and the images from Australia. And I think there was actually another one recently released yesterday, was it, where I think it were two, I don't I think I don't know if they were male tennis players or whatever, but they were kinda like in blackface, uh trying to mock and mimic um the Serena the Williams sisters as well. I and know and what I've you're talking about. Did you see that?
0: Yeah, it was three white men uh, in blackface. Um, uh-huh. Yep, yeah, I saw them. It's, that's really disgusting. And it was like,
1: Australia again, too, right?
0: I don't remember where. I, mean, I did Australia. not know where it was, but I, I think it's just disgusting how she is being treated. Um, I do appreciate like uh, male tennis players, particularly white male tennis players, coming out and like, I've said, much worse. And I haven't been subject to this type of like harassment after the fact.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's I'm disappointed and disgusted, mm-hmm. 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 yeah, I think Serena is uh, in a time in her life that is um, where she's having this radical transformation in her career. Uh, a lot of things have really centered around her identity around being black. And it's almost like a black common feminist. So she's black and. So she's black and a tennis star and she's black and a mother. And a lot of, for the, the larger social landscape, they're trying to uh, identify how she can be black and excellent as so many of these other things. And so there's this systemic attack of her um, so these the, the, the cartoons that were made, I just think that it's a reflection of everything that happens in smaller sectors where black women are doing labor and being excellent. Uh, we know about it because it's Serena Williams and she's a famous person. But I think it's definitely a reflection of how black women are being treated in everyday life.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so she got a lot stacked up against her. You know, sometimes just watching it, you know, I get I get frustrated because I'm like, you know, Especially even just one, sometimes how it's just interpreted, taking a step back is how how her greatness is kind of muffled a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like how they try to say like, oh, sometimes the greatest female athlete, the tennis player, but no, she's like just period one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen. Yeah, uh, and so it's even that kind of a. Uh, how we see the patriarchy, just even like, oh, because she's not really a male, no one's even giving her that title of like the best ever. But what she's done has already transcended what all, even not just what women have done, but also what men have done in the same exact sport, and no one has really ever done it. And so it's just like from even that perspective, just dimming her light, dimming her successes. I think is already extremely problematic in a lot of ways. But yeah, also just how she's been treated, because she's been pretty vocal about this even before you know she started um going into tournaments this year just talking about i know she had mentioned how she gets drug tested more than anybody else and it's always frequent right mm. compared to again not just the, the female athletes but the male athletes as well and i you know there's i think there's some intent by that and i think it becomes increasingly frustrating for her a lot of her plate she's a new mom she's trying to get back in there and all of these all these added pressures put on it just make it like an extremely like tough situation but i am like i do uh I I am just uh, happy for her resilience and like how she's continuing to push forward and be vocal about it, even though there's like a lot of stacked against her.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I agree. No, her support of um, Osaka at at when the actual event actually happened. And Mm -hmm. I think that really shows us who she is in that moment, you know, how they wanted to provide, give her all of the negative attention. She stopped them in that moment and said, no, this is about celebrating the person who won and we can talk about this later. So mm-hmm. I think that really shows um, who she is as a woman and it highlights that continuity for all black women to say, yeah, I have this issue right now, but let's celebrate this sis who just won because this is a big deal for her.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Did anyone notice how in that uh, comic uh, where they, uh, you know, the caricature of uh, Serena Williams, how they painted Naomi as a blonde white woman? Yes. Like, I thought that was so strange. Like, it's you insane. have whitewashed, um, you know, the this woman, this mixed black woman. And... In order to paint, I don't know if paint her as more of a victim. I don't know, but it was weird and I, I didn't like that either.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, well, another thing that we've seen that might be related to this topic too, not too long ago at a fashion event in New York, I believe somewhere, right? Uh, there was an altercation between Cardi B and Nicki Minaj. And, you know, I've seen conversations about that for our listeners who may not know. Cardi B and Nicki Minaj are both music artists. They are both rappers. Nicki Minaj has been around a little bit longer than for a while, for a few years, actually, way longer than Nicki Minaj, than Cardi B. Cardi B has kind of been really getting popping and popular this past year. And, um, You know, throughout, throughout, since the rise of Cardi B, there has been speculation that, you know, either they're threatening Nikki's position or Nikki is feeling threatened or maybe not. And conversations around, you know, making them compete against one another. And I've heard, you know, people are saying, is that the right thing to do? Should they be doing this? Is two women of color. They should be uh, lifting each other up, support. There's space for both of them. And I I feel like a lot of the narrative around them has been spun to make them compete against each other. But it, ultimately, we've seen that there was altercation between them at this New York event where Cardi was supposedly trying to, allegedly trying to attach, attack Nikki and throw a shoe and security got involved and all this kind of stuff, but sparked a lot of conversation as far as the potential tension between both of them. Um, so what are you guys' thoughts on that, on this whole situation?
2: Uh, you know, I have to be really honest. I am a Cardi B fan. Me too,
1: me too. <laughs> I am too.
2: <laughs> I love party Uh So, you know, but the last point that you said, Tyrell, was just around uh, the media is really kind of placing them at one another. And that's the divide and conquer mentality that they have uh, specifically for folks of color, right, for minoritized populations across the world. But then as women of color. So it's really our responsibility to be able to push past that. And I really hope that At some point, Cardi and Nikki can talk to one another. I mean, just being a black girl, I know that that seems like big goals, right? Big goals, big dreams. But if we're going to move past this as a collective community, so as a hip hop community, as a community of women, then they've got to figure out this beef. And, Mm -hmm. you know... um, I think it's really about the folks who are surrounding them that's keeping it going because they're busy. They have their whole lives that they're working on and that Mm -hmm. they're prioritizing at this point, their careers. And so I think it's the responsibility of the people who work with them and who share space with them to really uh, hold them accountable and make sure that at some point they're talking to one another and not just through other folks.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. So, I'll say for me, um, and it speaks to Ty's point, but it also kind of connects back to uh the Serena potential Naomi thing. It really grinds my gears when. We can't have more than one, you know, like, oh, the you know, the next Serena knocking her off her throne or, you know, the next Nicki Minaj knocking her off her throne. It's kind of like no one ever says these things about male athletes or about male rappers. Like, why can't I enjoy Nicki and Cardi B? Why does it? Why does it have to be one of these things where I have to choose? And like you said, I hope people can move past that. But it really bothers me because it means that like we can never have more than one woman to do something great at a time. Like we got Beyonce and Rihanna. Like I enjoy both. And I, I just don't like the either or thing because I do enjoy both of their songs. It took me. I'm generally one of those people where. I'm like skeptical of new artists. So like when Nikki came out, you know, I listened to the stuff, but it took me years before like, okay, I might like download some things, you know, the same with Cardi. Like I'm just like a no new friend type of person, but it's just kind of like Cardi stuff. It, it bumps and I like it and I listen to it and I've downloaded it. So I can't say like, oh, you know, you know, Nikki got to fall off just cause Cardi, here. I, I just, why, why does it have to be like that for women? I don't get it.
1: Yeah. And, they're, and, they're, and as far as just the artistry is con- concerned, they're like two different artists. You know, they're not even like in the same kind of like lane as far as what they do and how they promote themselves. You know what I'm saying? As far as the work and the music they put out there. I mean, Cardi is definitely saying more so to the hip hop. And then Nikki is kind of is in that balance between pop and hip hop, but definitely has been doing more pop, but trying to get back to the more hip hop thing. And they just make kind of different music. So there's always lanes. Like you said, that when you hear just artist period, male artists, It's really never that like, oh, competing against each other. It's fine when there's multiple great artists, right? All the time people say, oh, J. Cole and Kendrick and Drake, right? Nobody's saying it's just one. You know, everybody's okay with there being multiple, uh, these top lyricists and hip hop artists. So it's strange to say the least. Hopefully we can, like you said, do better. I, I would like to see them both on a song. You know, I think that'd be dope just a, they fan.
2: They
0: were on a song together. Oh, Talk about what,
1: Motorsport? Motorsport, yeah. Yeah, but that was true. That was funky because they didn't like record together and it was actually the Migos song, right? Offset on whoever. And they didn't do the video at the same time together. They weren't like in the same space. But I'm talking about like Cardi and, and Nicki like together, their own track in the studio.
2: You know? Right. And so I think that that brings up another point just in thinking about um, hip hop and music and, you know, like, Hip hop is, you know, turning forty within the next few years. And Mm -hmm. it's important that we talk about the evolution of it as a commercialized product, because when hip hop was born, it was born out of the collective, out of folks coming together in the energy that happened there. So now we can make this hip hop record with folks who are in different places and it's dope, you know, like it sounds dope. The video looks good, but the energy and the spirit of hip hop, it's missing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that.
2: I, I agree mm-hmm. So speaking of more
0: than one I guess uh female entertainer or woman entertainer uh, existing at a time, did you guys see the interview with Cat Williams and Wanda Smith uh on v103 where he kind of uh, some people would say took shots at um what's what's her name the new comedian?
1: Tiffany Haddish.
0: Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. he took shot at Tiffany Haddish and, you know, kind of talked about, you know, the people that came before her and, you know, didn't get, you know, the shine that they deserved and things about that. And it turned into a lot of other things like him getting a gun pulled on him. But did you guys see that?
1: <laughs> yeah. So with that story, is it true? So she went, was she who was doing the stand up? Was Kat doing the stand up or was she there? Is that the club or whatever when the gun got pulled on him?
0: So I know it's that- her husband. Yeah, that was. So I saw the video. It was his show. Her, she and her husband, they were standing at the doorway, like waiting on him. Mm. He walked up, he started like walking up. This is all on the camera. And like, he kind of like stops and the husband like lifts up his shirt. Cat Williams then immediately like takes off running and then the husband takes off running after him and you can't oh. like <laughs> the running happens off camera. Now, after the fact, you know, cat like got interviewed by TMZ. who was like, you know what gun? Like what, you know, this, but like, uh, Wanda Smith's husband, like had already admitted that he did have a gun in his waistband and then it fell out after he was running after Kat. So it was, but Kat didn't want to press charges or whatnot, but yeah, like
2: mm, awkward. Yes. <laughs> Very much so.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> got butted up, butted up the chopper, huh? <laughs> Cat wouldn't. That's crazy, man. Um, nah, yeah, it's crazy. I didn't see the video, so I'm going to check that out.
2: Yeah, I didn't see the video either. So yeah, I'm going to have to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He definitely lifts up his shirt
0: and cat then takes off running. It's funny because TMZ asked him, he was like, uh they were like, "So you scare easily, huh?" He was like, "Yeah." <laughs> Like, he's like, yeah, I'm scared of a gun or whatever it was. I run, too. I mean, it really wasn't that serious. I've seen some black uh, or, yeah, some black outlets or, you know, people say it's like going back and forth because some people have said that, you know, Kat was just like really disrespecting like black women, Tiffany Haddish in particular, and that, you know, what he was doing to Wanda Smith was kind of like an affront
2: to like other black women. Did you guys see any of those discussions or conversations? Mm-hmm. I saw a couple of them. Um, and I, I, the when I saw that, it was really talking about how he had to circle back and eat his words for the woman that he talked so poorly about, how she won an Emmy. Um, and so I think really thinking about like the, the hate that we spew, that we're socialized to spew, uh, but the damage is kind of already done. Cause he now he's coming back and apologizing and saying all of these things, but even this conversation talked about what he was saying about her before she won the Emmy. So I think it really makes us think around how we speak about other people and uh, how the the impact of that versus the intent of it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it's funny because they both won Emmys. They're saying, (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and I was watching the Breakfast Club interview. Uh, this morning with with Cat Williams, i uh, not Cat Williams with with Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish. They both were on there, and Kevin Hart was very upset. I mean, he was like very passionate um, in coming to the defense of Tiffany Haddish against what Cat Williams was saying, um, and, and kind of going along the lines of what Shamar was talking about. He was just talking about the the impact that has, mm-hmm. and you know that Tiffany has worked very very hard to get where she's been. I mean she's like you heard her story, she's been homeless, she was in and out of homes growing up and all this kind of stuff. Um and where she is now and the success she's having and he was just really upset at how Cat Williams was trying to take a, a you know damper dim a dimmer her light as far as what's going on. But also picking up Tiffany as far as how she handled it and didn't really clap back at cat, you know, and just, you know, said, it is what it is. I I didn't do anything to you, but I'm not going to really address this and entertain it. Um, And she said he did apologize, but she really didn't. They asked, you know, tried to get the details of what was said, but she didn't really say what was said. So we don't know if she like accepted it or was like, you know, cool with what he said or whatever the apology was. Um, But yeah, it was, I was actually shocked to see how upset, Kevin, Kevin Hart was, you know, I really, you know, he's always happy and joking, but he was like really, really going in and also going against all the facts that Kat was saying about, you know, just how he sold 2.4 million tickets or whatever. And and Kevin Hart was like, no, like, you know, I'm the highest paid and been doing the most. And the most Kevin Hart has sold is like 1.3 million or something like that. And that's globally. So he's like, there's no way, you know, Kat has, all the stats that he was trying to boast about himself were like, all of them were pretty much false, um, and he was just kind of going through each one and just talking about how how they're wrong, and how they're false, um, as well. So it's just like that's interesting.
0: I would I would want to see the receipts because Kat has been around for a long time, like way longer than Kevin Hart.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't no, think he's I been in Kevin Hart it. numbers, right? You know, as that uh, no stadiums and, and theater and, and global tours, you know, like that.
2: Yeah, Kevin yeah. Hart he has been pulling in those numbers, um, mm-hmm. so it, I think I think part of it is just the time, right, uh, of when Cat Williams hit and got big, and when Kevin Hart hit and got big. So mm-hmm. that's something that's outside of either one of their controls. But when um, we look at things like the socio political context, it matters for entertainers as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a little known fact that I learned about this interview too Kevin Hart he's been trying to chase that Eddie Murphy record um, of being in theaters which was like 50 million and you know so Kat did three shows you know three uh, specials in theaters and still hasn't caught that record because um, I think that Kat said the highest he had was like 36 million and so and Eddie Murphy did this in the 80s you know before all this kind of internet spin and, and social media and got 50 million so Kat was like you know he's really trying to put into his perspective how much how that what Eddie Murphy did in that time, but how that is still almost unbeatable <laughs> today. You know, even with somebody like Kevin Hart who's been doing all he's been doing, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> all right, all right. So moving on. Uh, well, let's get into something that we all want to talk about. You know, and we all watch Power. Okay, show on um, Showtime. No, Stars. I'm sorry. Stars. <laughs> this don't,
2: is a big get, rich town. Don't
1: get don't get the strap, Fifty. Don't get the strap. Right. Stars. <laughs> um, let's talk about Power season finale. What y'all think? What are your thoughts?
2: I can't wait another year to find out what's going to (laughs) happen. I just know uh Angela probably not dead. <laughs> You're probably right. I agree with you.
1: Oh, so that means y'all didn't see the spoiler. Oh man.
0: Wait, what?
1: I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin it. But even though it's already out there.
0: Oh You can, you can, <laughs> you can tell, tell me. Oh, y'all I'm, wanna know? Yeah. Okay. Like I missed the middle part of the season because I was like, I'd rather just read what's going on because power sometimes can be like a bad, like uh Soap opera type
1: thing, so <laughs> tell me to spoil it. Well, I'm saying, so pretty much, I mean, no, the writer of the show, Courtney, I can't remember the name, her name, her last name,
0: uh, um, can't she be. posted, she posted,
1: yeah. she posted pretty much whether or not Angela is alive or dead, because everybody was speculating. I don't know why she did that. There were a lot of people upset, like what kind of writer spoils her own show for the next season, but she said that Angela is in fact alive still.
0: OK, no, I, am. I mean, of course.
1: Yeah, we you know, I, I was I, I was like it when when I saw the scene, I was like, mm, I don't I can't believe it. She's there's too much going on, too much still open. You know, uh, they still got to keep that storyline going to close up those loose ends. But it would be interesting if she was dead. I would actually prefer that. Me too.
0: Or maybe Courtney is pulling uh, Issa Issa Mm -hmm. and pretending that she's coming back and really we get surprised and we all get to be happy like
2: when (laughs) love returns to Insecure. (laughs) Yeah, right. She may still
1: be alive, but for how long? Half an episode? You know, that can also be true.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And what, uh, how is she, what's her capacity? Like, what's her quality of life?
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's also true.
2: Yeah. I'm interested to see very interesting to
1: see. It's only about two more seasons left. I know Fifty said a long time ago that they weren't planning to go past seven seasons, and so this was season five. So I think they'll be figuring out ways to wrap up the show soon.
2: Yeah, um, this season I was really confused with all of the cartels, and I couldn't keep up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know who's yeah. the flying, who who's the dish. <laughs> I can't keep up.
1: <laughs> yeah, it used to be more clear because then they got the Italians, and they got the cartel, and then they got the what's the other group. Um, another like Eastern European type group, I think. Right. Right. And Tommy was.
0: Uh, I can't think of the name, but I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I can't remember. Are they it.
0: Serbian? I, yeah, a service, a service,
1: you know, Yeah. Uh huh. And so it's like you don't know who's who, who's getting from who, who, where's money getting made, where's getting cleaned up anymore? They're all over the place. Right,
0: right. <laughs> it's kinda like a urban uh game of thrones, like an urban <laughs> all of these different houses. <laughs> uh
1: who's gonna who's gonna take over, right? Um, yeah. game
2: of, game of thrones, yeah. And I want yeah. to see where Councilman Tate falls.
1: Mm, that'd be a good one too
2: mm-hmm. i think his role in this all of this is really interesting i like lawrence tate i like him in this role
1: it's funny mm-hmm. that they still use the last name too mm-hmm. but i think he's gonna have to but he made that um public announcement backing um backing ghosts and so now i think that pretty much put him in a situation where now he has to support ghosts
2: mm-hmm. what kind of what uh skeletons he got in his closet <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm so healthy.
1: We know he was taking something off the top with the funding. That's what Ghost held over his head, but I'm right. sure there might be a little bit more mm-hmm. that may come out in the following season. Yeah. But yeah um But yes, yeah, uh, Insecure man. Yeah, I was shot when Lawrence came back. I was like, what?
0: Are you a part of the Lawrence? I have to-
1: Am I part of the Lawrence hive? I I don't know. I don't think so. I think um, initially I was like when you know like the first season you know and you know I felt for Lawrence. I'm like yo, he he trying to do his thing, man, he trying to come up, you know. But you can understand why you know Issa had her, you know, and she was over it. And then but so it was like you know at first, but now you know he st- he was like he started doing the most. I'm like alright, bro, alright, man, calm down. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's, I like I like the way they write it. It's kind of almost like real life.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how it would happen. Like, your ex popped back up <laughs>
1: as soon as you're moving on. Mm-hmm. But, oh boy, don't be calling it back. Though.
2: <laughs> oh.
0: Uh,
1: what's his yeah. name? Um, Nathan. Yeah, Nathan.
2: Now, I want to know what's going on with him and the lift uh, incident. <laughs> <laughs> Me, too. That was so weird. Like, I don't know. That was weird.
0: For a second, I was a part of Nathan Nation. Cause yeah, uh-huh. that's the that's his little hive, uh-huh. but he just goes to her. So I'm just like, nah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that was He was like, oh, is this real? And then disappeared for three days. I was like, bro, that's weird, man. Is this how you operating now? All right, all
2: right. But can we talk about uh, the baby shower on Insecure? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> what? With how? Um, she treated uh the the friend yeah how she treated
2: kelly Yes. so like maybe this is personal for me because i have a really good friend who uh is having a set of twins (laughs) (laughs) okay and she just had her baby shower a couple weeks ago uh, but like, I think like even as we talk about the relationship between black women, like we've talked about it um, with uh, Serena Williams and we talk about it with Cardi and Nikki. I think this is another example, uh, but using kind of like regular people, like real life people in a real life example around how we grow and change and develop. But we are not equipped to have those conversations with one another. Um, mm. So it's clear that uh, it's, um Tiffany, you know, she's having this baby, so she's developing and growing and changing. And I think that that's one thing that hasn't been highlighted in the series, but this is real life. When you're 30-somethings, your friends get married and have babies, and it changes the dynamic of your friendship. And so I'd really like to see that storyline unpacked. I think Insecure does a really good job of talking about the, the relationships and dynamics, but i really like to see this one unpacked around how is this four-person friend group going to change when one of the friends becomes a biological mother. Because that's really she's going to have to negotiate her time between her friends and her child now and her friends that don't have children and don't understand what she's going through. They've never been through it. So there's a level that they can and a level that they can't. How mm-hmm. will they um, change and uh, maneuver their lives to make room for her and her new life? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I- they do explore that. Yeah. And I've heard that like marriage and children is just a time where like friend dynamics just really change because people, like you said, don't know how to necessarily handle those transitions. But, you know, that's what I like about Insecure. I feel like it, a lot of it is like true to real life and how, you know, things happen. Um, so it will be interesting to like explore that.
1: Um, all right. So I know another topic that we're excited to talk about moving on a little from Insecure. I know, Shamar, you want to talk about this. The Bobby Brown. <laughs> pick. God. Yes, I love Bobby
0: Brown.
2: Bobby Brown
0: is the king of R&B. The king.
1: Yeah. Remember, <laughs>
2: um,
1: so, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? You know, feelings, thoughts. Bobby Brown. Do you think they did a good job? You know,
2: I think that they did a good job. I just want to shout out to um, him as the EP and the other folks who were on the team. I read uh, I was doing some reading up on it where he wanted to have the same actors uh, from the new edition story to continue that storyline. I love how even in his biopic, he didn't even talk about the same time period. So it wasn't like we're trying to counter whatever was said, whether it was wrong or whether it was right, I, I really enjoyed how we built on that. And I think that as Black creatives, that's really important. Like My vision may not be your vision, but there's room, like you were saying earlier, Daphne, there's room for all of us to be here and create and tell stories. And so when we are able to connect those stories um, from even that executive level, that EP level, for him to say that, no, this is not what we're going to do. We're not going to bash other people. We're not going to get new actors we're going to build on this success and this greatness I think it's a really good example of how we can continue to do that in our communities as artists and as creatives
0: mm-hmm. 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 I know a lot of people um, took issue with the portrayal of Whitney Houston in the movie <laughs> particularly like her fans and her stands. like they were like what like saying that you know no matter how true it was that it was disrespectful to have this portrayal of her. What'd you guys think of that argument?
1: I mean, that was his wife, you know? Um, and I'm sure a lot of what was portrayed had happened, right? was a part of, from his perspective, from his life, his experience, it was showing him, but Whitney was a big part of his life. And so it would be tough to show a Bobby Brown story without Whitney being a part of it. Um, and the experiences they had together, whether it was related to drugs and things that was happening behind the scenes, I think that's something maybe he wanted to put out there. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it is a tricky situation because I can understand if it was like Whitney's family, or especially fans, you know, you want to have that positive image of like, you know, who Whitney was, and that doesn't take away from her greatness and what she did, but it also is, I think, also a real reality of sometimes of what people go through in being in these, you know, elite top spaces, right? I don't know, maybe he would probably feel better if it came from a more, I guess, from Whitney's camp, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but again, it's was her husband. So I think, you know, he he is, he also has, you know, some say as far as what they went through as a couple and what and what he remembers. You know? mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. I think I definitely agree with you and that being their marriage. And so they have a, a, def- a different perspective than any of us have on the outside. Um, it is unfortunate that uh, Whitney Houston was not able to tell her own story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just want to hold a little bit of space for that because um, yeah, we, we need to tell our own stories. And the fact that she hasn't been able to do that or won't be able to do that uh, complicates this conversation. And I think I want to shout out to who was the actress? What's the actress thing that played her? Uh But she plays in uh, Luke Cage. She played on the game. I can't think of her. Actually, she plays in Insecure. I can't think of her name right now. I can't think of her name. I can't think of her name. But I think that personally, when it comes to her craft and being an actress, uh, her name is Gabrielle Dennis. Okay. Okay. I believe that, I believe she captured the energy of Whitney Houston. Like, so when we think about folks who are, um, and I'm, I'm gonna say something and it might be a little bit controversial. When we think about folks from our community, so black people who have substance abuse issues, they have a certain energy and a certain way about themselves. And uh, even independent of the storyline and the plot, I believe that that energy and that essence was captured well. And I think that even it was captured with respect because at no time did we see her like totally all the way laid out <laughs> in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we can definitely tell, you know, that there were times when she was under the influence or supposed to be under the influence and not. Uh, but I think that that part of it as an actress and as a creator was done really respectfully. Yeah, I can, mm-hmm. agree. I can that,
0: agree. That scene that they remade um, in the, the jewelry store uh, from Being Bobby Brown, yes. where they yes. were like dancing, <laughs> I watched the side by side. And when I tell you, it was an exact like replication of like what actually happened. Like
2: that was, yes. it was so good. That, it was, good. that was good.
1: That's funny. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, We can talk about some of the education stuff and what's been going on regarding education this past month, some of the headlines, things we've seen in the news. Um, One of the things with good old Betsy losing losing that lawsuit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. So that was the uh, lawsuit related to, uh, like, loan discharges, particularly for people um, who had attended like for-profit colleges. Am I correct? Mm-hmm, in that? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's good because so Betsy DeVos has got into office and I feel like it is not me personally. I feel like it is not based on her desire to, you know, just really improve educational outcomes for students. Since she's got in, everything she has done has in some way enriched herself or people that she knows who are invested in education as a business. So for instance, she is invested in, you know, for-profit colleges um, as a business. She's invested in charter schools as a business. And I feel like a lot of the moves she's made have been ways that could like, improve her financial outcomes. So opposing or stalling people being, you know, having their loans forgiven for things that were outside of their control, particularly as it relates to these for-profit colleges that aren't following through or just simply like shutting down. Um, and so
2: I'm, I'm happy someone like stopped her and was like, nah. Yeah, I'm actually um, a little bit shocked that it happened this way. I'm glad that she got shut down. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting to just watch as, a, you know, an educator, someone who's worked in education on the local level for lots of years, I think seeing it pay off, uh, watching it at this level is really just interesting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, this other crazy story I saw dealing with education, um, and I guess, uh, you know, I guess from me uh, possibly uh, like I know... Daphne, you worked in the Georgia school system, right, when you were teaching uh-huh. Yeah. And so I've seen that they said that a charter school has tried to implement a new policy that are allowing pretty much teachers to spank students um, in school. What you you think about that? Would you let your child be spanked by a teacher? Uh,
0: no. <laughs> That's and crazy. what's crazy is that the parents actually supported this.
1: Yeah. Because then they send like a consent form home to the parents that say, do they agree with or is it? Did, were they doing it regardless? Or did the parents have to consent to this kind of punishment?
0: I didn't read about the actual process, but I okay. did read that like the school had like a fairly decent amount of support from the parents. Now, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that there has to probably be some type of consent form because you can't just be assaulting people um, in schools, you know, without their parents permission. But I'm sorry. Would you really let a school spank your child? No,
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm do about. but no. Uh, they do have to have parent permission and they sent a consent form. Um, but if the consent form doesn't come back or the parent doesn't consent, the child could face suspension from school. Like, wow. and this goes back to the best of the conversation. Like, are we really centering our young people? Are we really centering the students? Because the child is missing the education that they need because of some paperwork. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I it really bothers me because you would not see
0: these same rules uh, and same policies being enacted in schools where the populations are predominantly white or affluent. It is only in certain types of schools do we want to implement policies that are you know, reminiscent of what you might see in a jail or, you know, just something that's just really outdated. Like you want to beat our kids. You want to suspend them. You know, you want them like walking down the hall and they can't like speak
2: without asking for permission. It's, it's too much. Right. They got to walk on the line, have their hands behind their backs like they're in handcuffs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like these schools Mm -hmm. are really starting to look and feel like prisons this summer. So I have two children. I have an 11 year old, And an eight-year-old and they're both boys and this summer we went to freedom school and we are a freedom school family this is our third year there and the building the physical building the school building that we were in is a was a middle school as opposed to an elementary school like it's been in years past but because it's a middle school they require my son who's eight to walk through the metal detectors And my son doesn't go to a school. We're we're fortunate. So the school in our district doesn't have metal detectors. So my son looked like, what's this? And so I had to explain to him what it was and why it was there. Uh, And it's in direct opposition to the goals and the structure of Freedom School. So as a parent, we had to work with the the staff to say, hey, we got to use another door. We can't send our students through these metal detectors and then bring them in here and tell them that, oh, education is a liberatory praxis without explaining to them the process around how this school is being built as a school prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. The school that they were at, they didn't even have a a playground outside, arguably because they're middle school. And so they only have sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And, you know, once people get to middle school, they get too cool to play on the playground. Uh, But in the place of a playground, they had like a I I don't know the exact name for it, but it's like a gym circuit, like a workout circuit. But it, it mirrors the prison yard. So when you roll up to the school, you have the prison yard. And then you go through the doors and there's a metal detector. So what are we intrinsically, implicitly telling our young folks and how are they associating that with their education?
1: Um, no, That's true. And I think that, you know, makes sense when we talk about another report that I've seen this month resurfacing. And I've seen it a while back, uh, but I think it speaks to kind of exactly what's going on, right? What children are going through in schools, particularly students of color, and dealing with, you know, they're saying over the past 15 years, I think seeing in this NBC report, um, the amount of Black families who are homeschooling their children has doubled, right? Um, and one of the major reasons they cite for homeschooling is because of racism uh, It's one of the major things. Um, so, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And I don't even, I'm not even familiar. What does it take to, like require what is required to homeschool your child? Like, what do you have? Do you have to have what kind of things you got to have in place to even do that?
0: Well, I would say this might give some insight into it, this crazy story that actually happened to this black woman in Buffalo, mm-hmm. um, who went about things formally to um, homeschool her children and then got in trouble with the law. So her name uh, was Kier Harris, um, and she you know, stated that the district was failing her children, she um, decided that she wanted to homeschool, and so she had to actually file some documents with Buffalo City Hall and the public schools um, that actually says like she's taking her children out of school because she wants to homeschool them. Um, there was actually a homeschool coordinator who like helped her like file the paperwork, and although she did all of that and her children were officially unenrolled in the schools, a week later Child Protective Services came to. Her her house Mm. wondering why her kids weren't in school and they actually took her children for like more than three weeks like she had to go to court um and she like all and so I guess she got upset of course um some police officers like she got arrested for like unrelated charges like I guess like resistant arrest like you know if you're trying to take my children I'm probably going to be upset too mm-hmm. and although that's been dropped uh I think even this year like there was still like a battle like related to like I think she's still you know being supervised for her children because they said she was neglecting her children by not having them in school although she filed the paperwork
2: to formally homeschool them. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That is crazy. Wow. I know in Ohio, so our well in Cleveland specifically, we have um, a K twelve program. It's K twelve online, and uh, you can just enroll online, and you don't have to have any particular um, uh, uh, credentials to run this homeschool program. So they take their coursework online, and that's it. Um, And I know that there are a couple of co-ops here of um, who are like homeschool moms. So they kind of get their young folks together, their children together uh, like once a week or they rotate to do field trips or um, things like physical education, because those are requirements that are still required with the homeschool program here. But, yeah, I know some of these moms and because schools in Cleveland uh, you know, Cleveland, the Min- Cleveland Municipal School District, Cleveland Metropolitan School District is struggling and has been for quite some time. Um, our schools are under mayoral control and they have been for about 20 years. And the parents mm. in the city, they don't know because it's just kind of so commonplace. But again, those are the stories that we need to tell. We need to begin to amplify the messages of of all of these moms, all of these women, and see how we can really begin to shift the landscape because the way that schools are set up, they're not designed for our young people to succeed. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say the system is broken. No, it's not. It's operating at prime time. It's doing mm-hmm. exactly what it's designed to do, and so illuminating that with uh, parents and folks in community to help shift the landscape is really important.
1: Mm-hmm. That's uh, true. I know we got a few more minutes, so let's um let's get to some of the topics related to criminal justice before we head out. Um, you know, there's a lot kind of been going on this past month. Things that have been surfaced on the headlines. Uh, we could quickly talk about, you know, it's one of the more pressing ones. We couldn't, can't leave this one out, but what's been going on in Dallas or in Texas with uh, the Botham Gene case getting shot in his own home and all the controversy surrounding about that with the police officer's involvement and, uh, you know, having a few days in the weekend to develop a story instead of being, you know, kept inside. And then you also see that there were, I think it were nine or so uh, uh I think I don't know how old they were, but they were protesting, um, activists protesting what happened. Mm -hmm. And they were in jail for like two days or so, three days or so. Longer than
0: than, uh, Amber.
1: Yeah, longer than Amber, who, you know, killed and shot a man. I think she was only there for about an hour or something like that. And it was released. And these people were practicing their constitutional rights to um, nonviolently protest, peacefully protest and assemble and got arrested, uh, which was crazy. Um, speaks to the system and it, it also shows that there's probably some kind of corruption going on in that area, in that police department, in those spaces, for sure.
0: Did y'all see where the police chief, who was a black woman, was like, oh, there's, you know, it's against policy. I, I can't fire her at all or or something to that nature. And I know I, I read some reports from some lawyers that were like, mm, what she's saying is not necessarily true Um mm-hmm. and that she's kind of like bending the truth to you know I guess appease the public did you guys see that story?
1: No I didn't see that exact story but I'm not surprised yeah Sorry, I didn't see no. it
2: but I'm not shocked either <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay I still have one question and I really mm-hmm. haven't been able to get this out of any of the uh news reports
0: mm-hmm. Uh,
2: how did she get in the door?
1: He opened it
0: Yeah, so she's claiming that Mm -hmm. his door was ajar, Um, but there are a lot of people who have um, kind of encountered that with video evidence to say, like, these doors close, like they're fire doors. They close automatically. Now, when we look at what witnesses um, who his next door neighbors have said that they heard, you know, they hear somebody banging on a door. Let me in. Let me in. Mm -hmm. Um. The the only reasonable um, thing we can say that you know how she got in is he likely opened the door for her mm-hmm. um, because the way those doors are set up it, mm-hmm. it it was not ajar so
1: yeah they automatically close you know like they don't stay open uh, that's what she tried to say and so what's also been coming out too uh, is the fact that she had issues with this guy before right uh, dealing with like music saying he played music too loud and she complained, said even that she, com- he, she complained that very morning about it. And so it seems almost the story can be put after a 16 hour day of work, you're coming in, he's probably playing some music, you're pissed off and you're going to his door to confront him about it or whatever, uh, which seems like a believable narrative. Right. Instead of like, oh, I'm at the wrong door. Key fob doesn't work. Oh, the door is ajar. Thought it was an intruder. Shot him. It just doesn't all add up. uh, It doesn't
2: add up for me either. There's a big part of the story that's missing. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, she's lying. And uh, hopefully the 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 narrative from or the, the witnesses and the neighbors, you know, that can that should be able to hold up, you know, as far as what they heard, what they saw. If she was definitely banging, clearly the door was not ajar clearly she knew she was not at her own apartment um and if she was saying let me in she knew somebody was in there so (laughs) so, somebody
2: opened the door for her (laughs)
1: yes
2: (laughs) you just got your pistol out ready to shoot and the door is already open
1: yeah And so definitely needs to be, you know, and they trying to say charge with manslaughter. We talked about this before, but it should be nothing less than second degree. Um, cause you, when you're not even you're you're off duty, too, you're not even working anymore. You're home. And so should you still be protected as an officer when you're off duty? That's a bigger question that people aren't really talking about. Like, why are the police involved? Right now? She's a civilian. She is back in regular clothes, doing her regular life. But yeah, she's getting all this still police protection as if she did this while she was on duty. So that's Mm. a scary thing that police officers cannot be protected off duty, you know, because there are a lot of police officers who also, you know, work at clubs or whatever and do side gigs is like, uh, 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 you know, security for clubs or whatever and stuff like that. And all these little security gigs. So it's like, oh, if they do something, you know, unwarranted, unnecessary there, would they still be protected? Mm. Probably not. So why is she? But it can be a scary precedent if they start doing this. It's already bad enough they're doing things while on duty. Now off duty too, you still getting protected.
0: And in your own home, I it's oh, oh you're supposed to feel safe in your home. So I can't mm-hmm. even imagine. And I think that's why so many people across the political spectrum, across the racial, you know, spectrum are so pissed about this because it's like, yo, if you can come into my house and shoot me, you know, with without any consequences, that's scary.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you thought it was your house <laughs> like that's yeah. the thing it's not even like there was a a, a call for just like nothing yeah. like he thought that it was her house so she's just ready and mm-hmm. so that's that's problematic too as an officer of the law how you always on 10 yeah, yeah ten.
0: but i i don't honestly believe she thought it was her place i'm very know. skeptical because he had a red mat She didn't. She has a dog. He doesn't. Like, there are just too many clues.
2: But even the story she's giving doesn't add up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think, you know, it changed over time a little bit, too. Um, Moving on to the last couple stories, and I think that we can combine both of them because they do talk about some of the issues with criminal justice, but also some of the ways they're trying to change it. Um, One thing that has happened in Brooklyn that in the Brooklyn DA district attorney has made an announcement that he's no longer trying to, in an effort to decriminalize, uh, plans to erase minor marijuana convictions entirely. I think anything that's less than 25 grams uh, within the Brooklyn area. So this is something that I think many DAs are starting to try to do or progressive DAs are starting to see the how people are starting to feel uh, politically uh, with the criminal justice system and take pressure off. Um, and also because we know that weed is becoming legalized in many other places. Uh, so on that end, right, this one DA is trying to uh, free people who have been have minor minor convictions of marijuana. But then in places like May- Miami around the same time, another study has come out in conversations that uh, police officers treat people differently with these kind of reforms as well with regard to race. Um, pretty much what they've been finding is that in some instances they've been giving pot citations. Okay, so when you decriminalize it, it doesn't mean that it's completely legal. You'll get a citation like a minor ticket or infraction. You can pay a fee or a fine. Uh, but what they've been finding at, in Miami is that the police have been giving the citations only to white people and then still been locking up black people as well yeah. uh, with these kind of things. So I think this is important just to, just to highlight really quickly because I feel that when we talk about these reforms and we already know there's a lot of racial injustices and inequalities but now they can still be continuously perpetuated even with these reforms like yes we we'll release we're not going to lock up people anymore for these for small marijuana possessions but it's still being applied in unequal ways because of law enforcement and how they're doing it and so white people are benefiting more from these reforms than black people who actually need it more and the most mm-hmm. you know
2: yeah i so think, think it's what yeah. you said i think it's just about you know well, As we are legalizing marijuana in some states and some cities, I think it's an attempt to provide the relief for those folks who might have those small charges or might get them uh, based on this new green economy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think that it's a slap in the face to all of those folks who have been criminalized not even for the sale of it but for the use of it Mm -hmm. and without some real reparations that are coming back into the community without connecting you know what he's doing now to the war on drugs you know without that explicit connection i feel like it's all for naught
1: yeah very true
2: yeah I'm also just waiting on
0: some more states to do it. I, I honestly hope that there will be a federal push to decriminalize it because, you know, what you do in one state can still get you in trouble in another state um, or it could impact your job outcomes. Like you can't go to Massachusetts, smoke weed and then like try to get a job in Illinois and be like, oh, well, I, I smoked it in a state that it was legal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if they do drug tests. So I like to see a push um, at the federal level, to be honest.
1: Mm-hmm. Very true. Agreed. Very true. Um, all right, so I think that's over here. I know Shamar, you gotta run. So is there anything else you want to touch on? Anything else you want to say, you know, before we head out?
2: Um, I guess I just wanna say thank you again to you both for having me. Uh I am so proud of you, Dr. Connor. <laughs> <laughs> <I> appreciate it. <laughs> Um I believe that it's important that we share the stories around you know how we met and so I just want to take a few minutes and share that story. Mm-hmm. So I was actually presenting my research um, all alone (laughs) in Atlanta at the black doctoral conference. And it was my second time going to the conference, but I was still very early in my research. And I was just trying to get out in the community and be around some black people who were doing what I was doing. I'm in a distance learning program. So it's really hard to build community that particular way. Um, and so I ended up sitting next to, um, Dr. Moore, (laughs) Mm -hmm. who uh, actually introduced us. And I was able to spend the rest of my day that conference with you, Dr. Moore, and now Dr. Gators. And at that point, it was only Dr. Moore who was the doctor. Um, Uh So I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to remain connected to all three of you through social media. I'm grateful to watch your grow up and your blow up. And even though like I had nothing to do with it, I am so, so proud.
1: Of you. Oh no, we that's appreciate that's
0: it. No, I appreciate Aww. that. <laughs> uh, pat, pat, pat on the back, back, back for you. Come on, come through.
1: <laughs> no, we appreciate you. We're, I'm really excited that you reached out and excited that you were our first listener guest on our podcast. Uh, I think it was Thanks awesome you for conversation. having me. Yeah, and you had some really great insights and I'm sure all our listeners you know, will also benefit from what we talked about today, even though it was just a conversation about current events. I think there was some really good critical insights and discussions, so we really appreciate that. You just want to shout out your social media one more time and stuff like that so people can find you if they want to connect.
2: Sure, I am on um, social media outlets as Black Comma Feminist, so that's comma spelled out, C-O-M-N-A, uh, on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, I'm also on Facebook as just my name too. So Shamara Arkey. You can find me there. Right. Awesome.
1: All right. Thanks a lot, Shamara.
2: All right. Thanks, you all. Have a good day. you too. All
0: right. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhighlydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics and participate in our discussion forums.
1: Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at PhD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's
2: worst fear.